Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We are going to be joined today by Chris Peters of Flow Hockey and by our colleague here at the Athletic, Scott Wheeler, to dissect Corey's under-23 list. Last last week we went through uh, all of the team pipeline rankings. Today we're going to really dig into Corey's uh, individual player list. And so we brought in two people who love to take him to task. Uh, that's going to be coming up in segment two. But first, Corey, I wanted to go over a couple of things with you, maybe slightly less combatively than we'll be uh, in the second segment of our show. But I wanted to start right at the very top because your number one under-23 player is a guy who has yet to take a step on NHL ice. Right, and that is Cotton Bedard, and he is ranked directly over, as you mentioned, you know, two uh, legitimate NHL players, NHL stars, uh, and Jack Hughes and, and Tim Stutzla. And that was an interesting conversation I would be having with NHL personnel during Bedard's draft year as he became the consensus number one and ran away with it uh, as the season progressed is, you know, well, you know, where would he slot for you among the very best young players in the NHL? We did articles comparing him to recent first overall picks. But yeah, I've talked to NHL people in the league who agree with this opinion that they would take him over some of the very best players in the league, or at least take him for the duration of his career over the duration of those players' careers. Um, and some people are less enthusiastic about that opinion. You know, you have a guy like, say, Jack Hughes, who is an MVP candidate, and Tim Stutzla, who I think is trending towards being an MVP candidate. Uh, you know, I think if Ottawa were to make the playoffs this upcoming season, I think Stutzla has to have that kind of year. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think he could have that kind of year and guide them to the playoffs. Uh, but with Bedard, you know, you compare, you start thinking about, okay, well, what did I think of Jack Hughes at Bedard's age? What did I think of Stutzel at Bedard's age? And I'm like, oh, man, there's a pretty significant gap there. Um, not massive, particularly when it comes to Hughes, but there's a gap and in terms of the ability and you're thinking, yes, he hasn't played an NHL game yet and there's risk in terms of whether the game's going to translate or not. But if it does, and I mean, he's done nothing but show over his time as an amateur that, that he can have success and, and keep playing up levels and, and w- w- without issue, I mean, this guy has a chance to be a really special hockey player. Uh, doesn't have the skating that those two have, but I mean, his offensive touch and skill and goal scoring ability um, is pretty special. So it would be, uh, I don't think this is kind of like a fantasy discussion. This would never, I don't think New Jersey or Ottawa would ever really entertain, would ever have these discussions with Chicago. But uh, I thought it was a very uh, interesting way to, f- to frame the beginning parts of this list. It's interesting. So, Last week when we talked about Bedard and, and kind of the reasonable expectations for him, I, I want to say your ballpark for him projection was 55 points in, in season one. And that really highlights that this is not a ranking that says who's going to be the best players under 23 this season. This is this no, is very much a career. projection. Absolutely. Yeah, it's about, the, it's about their entire – who I think is going to have the best career. Uh, and, yeah, no, I mean, obviously I would not take Bedard over Hughes next season given what Hughes just did last year. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's a few interesting things here that, that I want to touch on with you. I don't want to scoop Chris and and uh, and Scott too much here, but uh, Dylan Cousins is another guy I wanted to bring up. The, he slots in here at number six, which he is a tremendous player, um, but coming in at number six was is really high, and I think it really shows that he, he had a great season last year and the strides he's taken. What was it that motivated you to put him at, at number six? And just for context, two is Jack Hughes, three Tim Stutzla, four Adam Fantilli, five Matvey Mitchkov. So a few guys from this last draft class. But after that, it's Dylan Cousins, next guy up. Well, I think with Cousins, you always were appealed uh, to the physical tools. You know, 6'3", right shot center, who skated very well, a highly competitive player. Uh, and you thought, yeah, he has skill. He has, you know, good good goal scoring ability. But is the, is the offense in his game really ever going to be elite, elite? And I think he still needs to somewhat prove that. But 30 goals last year, nearly touched 70 points. Uh, ran the flank on the first power play at times there in Buffalo while providing the really strong two-way play with the size skating and compete. And I just look at this player and think, well, why shouldn't he be at the very top of the list? Like, what's wrong with him? What what has he not proven? And, I mean, you know, his track record in general is very strong in terms of high-level play, in terms of scoring. And you add all those athletic traits and, and, the, and, the, and the work ethic in his game and I don't know. He looks like a premier young center in the league to me. A guy who I think would project to be the first line center on a lot of teams. Maybe not on the same team that has Tage Thompson, but I think this is this looks like a team uh, in Buffalo that between Thompson and Cousins and Rasmus Dalley and Owen Power. I mean, I think they have absolute studs at you know multiple studs. That is at the two most important positions. And, and I just want to say when you when you go to the six through eight, you have the grouping is Cousins, Beneers, Zegers. They're all on a tier. And I think the order does make a lot of sense. You look at Cousins and Beneers, Cousins are probably a little bit more offensive projection. You look at Cousins versus Zegers, Cousins the more well-rounded player. So I think it, you can see kind of how, how you got there with that outline. Yeah, and when I sent this list around to scouts, I think those three players, everybody kind of felt like they belonged together, but they weren't 100% sure on the order. Some would take Beneers over Cousins, some prefer Cousins over Beneers. It's interesting, I think most thought there was a distinction between those two and Zegers, some, but, uh, but I think that, I think most felt like those three did belong in a group together. And part of that with Zegers may be that there is a little bit of uncertainty positionally, especially now that Leo Carlson enters the fold. We talked about this when we talked about Anaheim on if he's a center or a wing going forward. And I think that that's a natural kind of lead into to the, the big wingers on this list. We talk about Matvey Mitchkov all the way up at five, but Cole Caulfield at 11 is ahead of some big names on this list. And, and those two, as well as Matt Boldy, are really disrupting and exclusively centers in D top 15. Yeah, and I think in order to – I mean, we talk about this in the draft too. I think in order to have a winger enter the premium discussion where you have those you know high-end centers and defensemen – at the top of the draft, how does a winger enter the discussion? Like say Mitch Kovdig or Sahau, say you know Uri Slavkovsky did the previous year. They have to have some special traits, and there has to be something unique about them where you think, okay, well I can't find this on the open market that easily. And I think with Mitch Kovitz, I don't think you find his skill in hockey sense that easily. You kind of saw with like what you know how much Artemi Panarin changed the Rangers. When, when he go, when he goes there, for example, like that kind of skill in hockey sense is not easy to find. Uh, with Cole Caulfield, it's the goal scoring ability. You know, it reminds me of, say, when like when Ilya Kovalchuk hit the free agent market, different kind of players a little bit, but like, you know, when, when those kind of wingers are available, they, you know, they, they can change the, the, the dynamic of a team a lot and boldly just the size and the high end skill combination. Uh, also not so easy to find. So that's why I felt like those three were, were special wingers in, in that they and allows them to be in that same conversation. Although, like I said, when I sent this list around to NHL people, you know, that was always the pushback. Like, oh man, like, you know, Owen Power is a really special defenseman or, you know, Mason McTavish is a really special center. It's like, I'm not sure I could take them over a wing. Uh, but I think those are all plausible discussions. And you look and say what Caulfield just got paid. Obviously, he's being paid now like a premium forward. Same thing with Boldy. And those three are the only wingers other than Uri Slavkovsky, the 2022 first overall pick in, in the top 25. So they're certainly seeing the, the positional premium play out there. Um, you mentioned one of the special defensemen here. And one of the things that jumped off the page to me right away is Moritz Sider and Owen Power, number 12 and 13. I think they belong together. So I agree with that. I was surprised to see you make a distinction 
and put Luke Hughes at number nine in a half tier above them on, on the bubble of the uh, NHL all-star tier and the elite yeah. tier. Yeah. And honestly, this is one of the tough parts about making this type of ranking is I have to distinguish between guys who have little to no NHL games against guys who are established NHL yeah. players. We did talk about this in the, with the Bedard se- section earlier. It's like, okay, well, how do you make that distinction? And obviously, you know, a big part of my job is projection. And when I, you know, this, you know, when, when we're talking about players in the draft, I'm projecting into the NHL, say, this is what kind of impact I think this player could have in the NHL. And if I actually do mean what I say, I have to actually kind of, you know, live up to it when I start talking about them relative to established NHL players. Like, well, I think this guy is that good. And I think this guy could be this good. It's like, well, then that's more valuable. And with Luke, uh, you know, I see a player with absolutely outstanding skating ability. I think he's shown legitimate offense at the college level, at the international level between the World Juniors and the World Championships. Uh, this is a guy with, you know, with, with strong intangibles. You know, he's the captain of the USA World Junior team. I don't think the offense is elite like his brothers, but I think it's very good. And I think the athletic tools are just off the charts. And I think from what I've seen of this guy over the last few years, it's hard not to watch him and not see a guy who can be a really impactful NHL defenseman. I think you saw that towards the little, you know, the end of his uh, little stint there in the NHL with, with the Devils in the playoffs, just the kind of impact a 19-year-old could have for them. And I think he'll only get better as time goes on. I realize I'm sticking my neck out on him. And I realize um, I've kind of developed a reputation for being a guy who may be a little bit high on the player over the years. I've, I've gotten a few trips of, of, from that from, from readers and, frankly, people in the league. But like I said, I don't know. I feel like this guy's pretty dynamic and I, I would bet on him to have be, to be a really successful NHL player. If there's a guy in the top 25 who I think fans will be less familiar with, most of these names in the top 25 are top 10 picks who, who are panning out as expected. Alexander Nikishin, I think, belongs in the similar conversation that we're having on Luke Hughes is what do you do with the guy who, and we haven't even seen Nikishin in North America, but we have seen right. him in Russia and we have seen him be very good in Russia. He checks in at number 23 for you and the bubble NHL all-star top of the lineup tier um, context. That's the same tier as David Juracek, who, who was a top 10 pick in, in last year's draft. Um, how did you arrive at this with Nikish? And what should people know about this player? I mean, it's hard. It was hard not to watch him last year with Ska and not just be blown away by him. Um, you know, what did I think when he led all KHL defensemen in scoring as a 21 year old, you add the fact that he's six, four and he skates well, and he's, you know, sometimes looks like a killer physically, to be quite honest, but, you know, very competitive, very physical. I mean, yeah, I mean, you think of, I don't think it's a perfect comp, but you think of, say, Key Andre Miller in the NHL. And I don't think it's unreasonable to say, not that this guy could be Key Andre Miller. I think he, like, he would, if he was in the NHL tomorrow, I think he's looking like that in, in the first week. That's what I kind of think when I watch this guy in the KHL. Doesn't mean it's for sure going to happen, but I think this guy, you know, based on what he's shown at the second best league in the world, I think he, uh, he is trending towards having a highly successful NHL career once he does eventually sign with Carolina. And the other thing I think is interesting is, is there's still some obviously projection that happens even when these yes. guys do arrive, right? And I think that's probably what's coming into play. Anton Lindell, Wyatt Johnson, two of the best young centers in the league, certainly. Not yet as productive, I would say, as, as some of the players that they are around, but uh, two well-rounded players, two really young players, they, they both crack your top 22. Right. And just what you're saying for there was projection with Nikishin, you know, you had projected Kuznetsov, and you had to project Tarasenko, you had to project yeah. Kaprizov, and, but I think the evidence is there that I think he'll have a, he'll be really good. Yeah, but in terms of Lundell and Johnston, both have some similarities in that they're both like average size centers, below average skaters, I would argue. Uh, but they're just so they are both so intelligent and competitive uh, that they've been able to make a real dent on very good teams. I mean, I think Lundell was a, not a, a, one of the top three or four reasons, but he played a pretty significant role on that team that went to the Stanley Cup final there in Florida. And I think between him and Johnston, I think, you know, Florida and Dallas fans can only be ecstatic by what they've seen so far. I don't know if either of them are going to be elite offensively, maybe Johnston more than Lundell, but I think they can be like really good two way players. Uh, for a very long time. One thing that I was thinking, I was trying to figure out who on this list has the best chance to ascend into this top nine or 10 or so. 
over the next year. And the name that jumped out to me was Logan Cooley, who you have as the last player on the bubble of all-star on top of the lineup tier, 24th overall. But there is a little bit of rhyme here. There's a little bit of like a Jack Hughes light, Tim Stutzla light there. If those are two guys you have in the top three, his rookie year in the NHL, is he the guy who in the top 40 or so who you could see making the biggest climb or is it someone else? I think it's very possible based on what, what he does. He is very dynamic. Uh, and that was kind of the discussion we have at Arizona and their farm system placement is, you know, they have some really talented young players. I love Cooley. I love Simashev. I love Daniel Boot. Like, Genther's really good. Uh, but they now need some of these guys to actually translate that into NHL success. Um, and if Cooley does in the NHL even something even remotely close to what he did in college, uh, then I think you can start having a really strong discussion about where he slots relative to guys like, say, Zegris, for example. All right, good stuff, Corey. That's your warm-up. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to bring in the big guns and, and, uh, and really turn the spotlight on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back and we welcome now to the show Scott Wheeler, prospects writer from The Athletic, and Chris Peters, prospects writer from Flow Hockey. Uh, you guys today are uh, going to get the unenvi- or the enviable task of, uh, of bringing Corey's feet to the fire on some of the names on this list. We went over kind of an overview, some of the things that stood out to me. I was a bit more uh, diplomatic than I, than I think you need to be. Uh, you, you came in at the very end. You now get the chance to... to Pick any nits you have or any major gripes you have with this list. Uh, and I will just turn the floor over to you right now. And, and, and we can start right here with Chris. Yeah, there will be gripes. Um, actually, you know, this is obviously a huge undertaking. We all know how hard it is to do these lists and how much there is. So there's the diplo- there's the diplomacy. And now it ends. And Corey, <laughs> you know, so uh, there was... As I looked through Corey's list the, the for the first time, you know, the, the one thing that jumped out at me, and this is not going to surprise anybody because I've always been high on him, but, you know, seeing Logan Cooley at, at 24, um, you know, especially behind guys like Slavkovsky, Juracek, even Wyatt Johnston, who I think, you know, has proven it at the NHL level. Um, I just think we're looking at, and w- Will Smith was another one that jumped out at me as like being ahead of, of Logan Cooley. Yes, he did have better numbers at the national team development program, but I think that Cooley is a little bit better in, uh, in, in a number of ways, both in terms of his skill and his, uh, his competitiveness and also his speed. Um, he's not more skilled. He's better skater. He's more competitive. He's not more skilled. He's as if he, he's no worse than as skilled and he might not have this. He does not have the same vision, as, as Will Smith, I will give you that. I think Will Smith has better overall hockey sense. But I think in terms of hand skills, shot, all those things, he is right there with them um, and is a better player at this point and, and I think will be long term. Um, he's also more competitive. And I think that that's a significant difference between the two. Um, so... But that was the one. I think Logan Cooley at 24, that seems very low to me. Um, certainly, I, I think it's at least 10 spots too low, if not more. Um, and and that's that's where I'm at on Cooley. And I, I think Scott may uh, may back me up on this one. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in the same boat. There just felt to me like there were a few guys. I, I, I can understand the Will Smith argument. Uh, I, there felt to me like the, the guys like Slavkovsky and Wyatt Johnson and, and Lundell, those are players who... 
I mean, certainly in Lundell and Johnson's case, they, as, as you alluded to, they've proven it. They've sort of competed in the NHL and been good players on good teams. I think their ceilings, though, is quite likely what a, a very good second line center at best. And, and there's an outcome for a player like Lundell as a very good third line center. And in Cooley, I think they're expecting him in Arizona to be almost a slam dunk top of the lineup player. Like that's, that's what they need him to be. That's what they believe he's going to be. And I think that's a belief that's held pretty widely around hockey that this kid has a, has a very good opportunity to be one of the better young players in the league over the next few years. If I said I'm a hundred percent certain, which I'm never a hundred percent certain, but if I was a hundred percent certain, Wendell is going to be Ryan O'Reilly. And I was a hundred percent certain that Wyatt Johnson was going to be David Krejci. Would you take those players over Cooley? No. Nope. No. I interesting. If Cooley's if Cooley's the the dog there, if he's the guy, if he's the driver in Arizona sure. for the next decade, those players aren't going to be the guy on their team. They aren't going to. Who do we think Cooley? Who who would be the NHL comp for Cooley? I think Max said it earlier. Diet Jack Hughes. I mean, like I think that he's he's going to be a you know, 80, 90 point guy on the regular. Okay. And yeah, I mean, Pavelski, I, I, Pavelski is a better skater. Yeah. Or a more competitive, more competitive Clayton Keller. I think you could, you could say too, but you get into these things where you're at, you're adding a skill and it makes it tougher. I, I get Corey's point here on O'Reilly because I think I'm taking O'Reilly over Keller by leaps and bounds. Well, over Keller um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But, but so like, but Keller's, is he not a point per game player? Like we're, we're adding the compete trait. My comp for Cooley in this draft year was Brayden Point. And that's, I still think that's the more analogous one than Jack Hughes. I don't think he's going to have Jack's offense, but I think he can have Brayden's offense. But point, so you, you would take, I would uh, take Point over O'Reilly those guys point? too. I mean, I, I, mean, yeah, I, know, I mean, I think Krejci had a really goddamn good career. Yeah, like I, it. I, and, I, I know he know, did. And I know. I, yeah, so all, you know, we're talking about, you know, all, you know, all, you know, you know Stanley Cup. Yeah. type of players type of thing. So it's it's just more of what's your flavor, essentially. And I think you know, there's all, they're all those guys in the same grouping. And, you know, in terms of Johnson and Lundell versus him, that's a lot of... Obviously, I think Cooley's more talented than those two. It's more of... That's the tricky part where it's NHL proven players versus guys who have yet to play a game type of thing. Yeah, but, I don't... So I think that... So here's maybe the more interesting one. Let's do Slavkovsky versus Cooley because it's the same draft class. Sure. You know... How has this debate changed from a year ago? So I know Scott's always had Cooley significantly ahead of Slavkovsky. And I think Chris had him mildly ahead of Slavkovsky, you know, but I think this is a tricky debate because Slavkovsky played in the NHL last year, not in college. So let's, let's say, you know, Chris, like why would this debate be much different from a year ago? Then why do you think there's a major distinction there? I mean, you know, certainly Slavkovsky played in the NHL, but I, I, I think we probably could have seen similar results from Cooley just because you look at what he did at college. He had a, a historically, not quite historically good freshman season. I mean, you know, like where he was a, a Hobie top three, um, you know, a high producing player, got his team to the national championship game. You know, that that gave us more fuel to the fire of Cooley being the more dynamic, the more skilled, the, the you know, just that that whole deal that all showed up. Now, Slavkovsky, we yeah. had a, a shortened run, obviously, the injuries and everything else and, and, and getting to the NHL is quicker. But I think if I'm looking at the ceiling between the two players, I see Cooley as a as a potential number one center. I see. I see Slavkovsky as a potential number one wing. I'm taking the number one center. Um, and I do think that Cooley has that it, in the way that Braden Point maybe didn't, or at least initially earlier in his career, um, he'll, he'll, I think that at times Point was more of a complimentary player. Now he's obviously moved into a more primary player. Um, I think Slavkovsky is, is going to stay in the more complimentary player realm, whereas Cooley is going to be a driver for his team, a star for his team. Um, not that Slavkovsky won't be a star, but I just think that the the level of team impact that Cooley can have to me in, in over the long term of his career is going to be higher than what Slavkovsky can bring. I, I also think that uh, w- while it was a shortened season, even if you take the injury out of it, 
some of the concerns that folks had about Uri Slavkovsky did reveal themselves in some of the struggles he had at the NHL level, i.e. how heavy he is out there, how fleet of foot he is getting to pucks and winning races, his ability to, to sort of play make off the wall. There were sort of minor concerns that people had heading into the draft, even as great as he was in his draft year, that were apparent really right from the get-go for him in the NHL. So the argument I do get on Cooley is like he was really good at the program, but he wasn't, I don't think, what I would call dominant, at least consistently. And then I think he maybe answered those very minor questions he had yeah. in his freshman year where he was that player. And I and it was reflected. I actually did elevate him in terms of like my projection, in terms of the tiers. He is elevated from where he was a year ago. Where I had Slavkovsky and Wright in that tier. And then I took right out and I put a year check and Cooley up, up a grade. So I, I do reflect that I have that his season was very impressive. Mm-hmm. But here, let's just say you were Montreal, for example. And I know neither of you share this opinion. But let's say you were Montreal and you did believe in your Slavkovsky as the best player in the draft. And the argument would have been a 6'4 winger who skates really well for his size, has high-end skill, goal-scoring ability, has had really dynamic flashes. There's a lot of potential here, you know. From basically, basically, what do you play? 30 NHL games, 35 NHL games yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. And you're comparing him to, say, Cooley and Juracek's full year outside the NHL. Would your opinion really change that dramatically? Maybe it's close. Maybe it's if you lean Slavkowski, maybe it's a coin flip. Maybe you do lean Cooley now. Like Again, I know neither of you did share this opinion. But if you thought Slavkowski was the best player, was there really enough evidence to change your mind substantially based on the fact that one guy was in the NHL at 18 and those, you know, that other guy wasn't. I mean, a 60 point college season is still a 60 point college season. So I think sure. if, by and large, people are going to be much more, not maybe not much more impressed, but certainly more impressed by Cooley than they were a year ago. Um, yep. I, I, I agree with that. I'd be curious if we were to go, I don't know what the numbers were on Bob's 10 scout poll a year ago, but I, re, if I recall that all three of Slavkovsky and Cooley and Wright got votes in it. I wonder if Bob or one of us did a reset on that and pulled 10 NHL scouts today. I expect that it it, it still wouldn't be unanimous, but that the, the poll would certainly now favor Cooley over Slavkovsky and Wright. And I think that's because of A, the 60-point freshman year, and B, because of the way he skates and the position that he plays and the opportunity that he's going to have in Arizona. And all of that does feel like the case is just strengthened relative to those other two guys. Yeah. And I, Corey, well, I would I, also, I, I, I just real quick, I would also say based on the 40, almost 40 games that we saw last year, I don't necessarily know that Montreal would, would make that decision again to put him right in the, I mean, I'm sure they, they probably would put him in the NHL. I personally, I, I didn't necessarily think that that was the best path forward for him with that particular team. I, I you know, get him with okay. Marty St. Louis, uh, all that stuff. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I yeah, just don't. I, mean, I just I, don't I, think. I didn't think he looked ready. Yeah, it, it, and and the the pace of the game ate him up a bit, and 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 that's that's you know that's to be expected for a younger player, especially a player playing his first year in North America. You know, I think that that I would have rather have seen him in Laval. To be quite frank, I think it yeah. worked wonders right. for right. Urich. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. I don't think he looked mostly ready. But I guess that. Yeah. But the argument was more like, well, if he would have been in Laval, if he would have been in. TPS or say even college hockey. It's just, it's just such a massive distinction between comparing a guy at 18 in the yeah. NHL versus a guy who was 18 in college. For sure. And I also agree with Scott. Again, I think if you talk to a lot of NHL people, I think it was a very minority opinion in the NHL. There was people who talked, I talked to who had Cooley at one was minority. I'm sure that yeah. would be, I think that opinion has grown since then. But obviously, you know, everyone has their own opinions. You know, when Bob did his poll for this past draft, I think nine of the 10 scouts he pulled had Fantilia two. One of them of the 10 had Mitch at two. And then Carlson went at two. So, you know, everybody, <laughs> yeah. everybody has yeah, their own opinions. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, right, I think this is a good uh, debate though. Yeah. Yeah. L- let's move on to the next one here because I, I know Scott, you wanted to, to talk to Corey about the placement of some of these D on, on the list. Yeah. This is more of just a theoretical thing with these lists. I've actually spoken with people at TSN uh, who who are part of their panel for the top 50 NHL players, obviously much different than than doing prospects and sort of under 23s. Um, but 
I've, I've had the same gripe with some of these other lists that are produced where it just feels to me, and I think this has been a consistent theme in TSN's lists over the years, like the D are always relative to how they're viewed by NHL clubs, always just seem to be, at least the top D seem to be a little bit low. And that caught my eye when I was looking at the list and you had guys like Cousins and Beneers 7-8, and then guys like Cider and Power sort of outside the top 10. I know they're all in relatively similar tiers, so maybe it's it's nitpicking. But it feels to me like if you're looking at Moritz Sider and Owen Power relative to Dylan Cousins and, and Matty Beneers, Matty Beneers and Dylan Cousins are probably low-end 1Cs or very high-end 2Cs. And I think most teams would take the the number one defenseman in a player like like a Moritz Sider or potentially Owen Power if he puts it all together. And I think we all expect that he will. Um it just feels to me, and we've seen this at the draft really over the last few years as well. This theme of 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 the premium on on those stud D, uh, and so yeah, that just caught my eye a little bit. I, I would probably have cider and power ahead of say cousins and veneers, for example. I guess my disagreement would be the characterization of those players. I don't think they're low end one Cs. I think they're legit one Cs. Personally, like I think, you know, like Beneers has a chance to be like an Anze Kopitar type. I think Dylan Cousins has a chance to, you know, you look at what, what Rupe Hintz is doing right now in Dallas. I think he can be that kind of player. Like I think, I think there are one C's over the career. And just my philosophy is that I would take the one C over the one D. I just think that, and I, just, and it's, and those are both exceptionally valuable players. Uh, but my prep, my usual, my one, when I'm doing player lists, both, draft a prospect list and draft and do draft elbow list. I usually go in terms of when it's a tie in talent, I go center, then D, uh, then, then wing. Typically that's typically how I do it. Just based on my view of what the most valuable positions are. I think the number one center is the most valuable position in hockey. See, I would argue that even Rupe Hintz is not a top 16, number one center in the NHL at the moment, as great as Rupe Hintz is. And I would, and then on the flip side, would argue that I don't think Beniers is going to be on Zay Kopitar. Um, so yeah, I don't know if 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 you're if the cutoff is the middle of the league is six. There's 32 number one centers. I think both of those guys are likely going to be in that 17 to 32 range more than that one to 16 range. If the cutoff is 32 number one D, are Cider and Power going to be in the upper half of that through the prime of their careers? And I think the answer is is more likely yes on that. So that's an, that's an interesting point. I, cause I, I, as you're, I think as you're making it too, and you know, I, I certainly wonder that too, as we look at the drafts and, and we saw it this year where we thought we had a lot of more valuable forwards and then NHL team started, you know, the run on defensemen started much earlier than we thought it would. Um, you know, I did find that interesting. The one, the one that I wanted to pinpoint though, just for the sake of further conversation, and we're kind of talking about it already, but the one that I wanted to pinpoint for further conversation is, is power and veneers. Obviously, same draft year. We just did this exercise. Mm-hmm. And, and Corey, it's not that I disagree because actually I think I, I, I may have, I, you know, veneers, the argument for me between veneers and power was throughout that entire draft season. Um, and it was very close at the end. And now, you know, we've obviously seen Maddie Beneers win a Calder trophy. We saw Owen Power have a strong season, um, and, and be in the mix, uh, for, for that award as well. But Corey, I just want, just wanted to further drill down kind of on your thinking on that and, and on Beneers over Power. And then ultimately, you know, if we think Power is going to be an NHL all-star, you know, he's probably all, maybe he's always going to be behind Rasmus Dahlin as well as a number two. So I, I just yeah. wonder your thinking on that. Well, with Beneers, the question I think for him coming up when he was a draft eligible was, you know, obviously we saw the good skating. We saw the exceptional compete. We saw good hockey sense. But I think the one minor question in his game was, is the offense going to be exceptional? Does this, is this a guy with high end right. skill and playmaking ability? I think the answer to that question is yes. I think, you know, he's shown that in his, his rookie NHL season that he can be a significant offensive contributor, that he can run a power play in the NHL. And I'm not saying this is going to be like an 80, 90 point player, but I think 
you know, I think he showed he could be a 70 point player. I think he could be a 75 point player potentially with a really strong two way play. And that to me is an absolute elite NHL player, a guy who changes a franchise in a massive way. And so I think you look at Beneers and I don't see any questions in his game at the moment that would keep me from giving him some of the most, the highest grades as a hockey player. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and, and on that, we're going to stick with the Michigan theme, too, because the one thing that we haven't mentioned, you know, and, and I, I, I is that Luke Hughes is in your top 10. Uh, he is the number one defenseman on this list. And I, to me, like I I'm I'm on the fence about it with him overpowering and insider myself. But at the you know, and I, I think he's an exceptional player. I think he's a, he belongs in the tier that he's in. I think you could make arguments. That the other two guys may as well. Um, but. Uh, sure. What what is the separation between him and the tier between cider and power in particular? I had this discussion with Max. Like I got the pushback that I'm going to get on that one, and especially because the other two, especially cider, uh, are much more NHL proven, and you know they are they are bigger um, as well. I think with Luke, there's just some dynamic traits in his game that would elevate him over me over the other two. Like I think power and cider both skate really well for big guys, but. But Luke's uh, skating ability is high end, especially for, for a guy who's six two. Like he's, I think the athletic tools are just off the charts. And then you add in that I think he has offense in his game too. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, Quinn, it's not going to be Quinn Hughes' offense, uh, but I think it's comparable offense to those two players at least. So I think you know it's the offensive touch is similar. I think the skating is much better than either of them, even though he's smaller and definitely doesn't have maybe the mean streak the cider has. And so I just think there's some, like I said, I think there's just a little bit more there in terms on the tools front. And I think and generally he's had a really strong track record, great college player, strong international play. Um, and I just think there's some real big potential in his game to be an impact NHL player. But I, I get it why you'd push back on that. I get why many others would push back on it because the other two are, are very proven players that are in a very important position. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't entirely disagree with it because I, I mean, I've, I'm obviously very high on Luke as well. It's just, uh, it's just interesting to see as we, as we, you know, you kind of look at the structure of the list and you see those two guys there, but yeah, no, it, ma- it makes sense to me. Um, and I think it's a, you know, the dynamic elements are certainly, and as we see what, you know, what Quinn Hughes is able to do with dynamic elements and what Kale McCarr is able to do with dynamic elements, you know, that, that's put them, Adam Fox, you know, they, that's put them in the upper echelon of defensemen in the NHL. All right, we're going to take a quick break right there, last ads, and then we're going to come back and we're going to wrap up this one with a few more uh, this or that. All right, we are back. And Corey, you're not done. Uh, we've known throughout this, uh, this draft process, uh, that you have been kind of seen as, as the high guy on Nate Danielson. And I think, uh, we certainly see that in this list. And I know Scott, uh, wants to take you to task on, on where you have, where you have Nate. Yeah. I mean, we've been, uh, Corey and I have talked on this pod. I think this might be the third podcast Corey and I have talked about Nate Danielson. So, uh, not, not a new conversation, but was a little bit surprised that he was a, a head of, of a couple of the forwards that were behind him. In particular, I think Kent Johnson and, and Cutter Gauthier wept out, uh, especially Cutter just after what he accomplished last season, obviously outside the NHL, but by the same token, Nate Danielson has only exclusively played in the WHL cutter. We saw dominant at the world men's world championships, obviously an excellent freshman season at BC uh, has really, really put it together and looked like everything that, that the flyers were hoping he would look like when they drafted him in the top 10. Um, and I, I was a guy who a year ago had cutter sort of in that 10 to 15 range more than, more than where they took him, but he has just, absolutely without question sold me on his merits as a sort of true, true top prospect in the sport. Uh, and I just, I, I can't quite get to that same level of excitement about Nate Danielson. Um, and then KJ, I, I mean, you guys know, I've, I've been really high on his skill level. I think he's going to eventually really click as an offensive point producer, uh, won't have the roundedness and may not be the center in the way that Nate and, and Cutter are, but those two, uh, leapt out, leapt out at me, especially Cutter. I, 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 I truly believe that Cutter's a, a sort of cut above Nate Danielson. Well, I think, you know, Danielson versus Johnson, uh, would be maybe a more, uh, 
in the weeds discussion because very different stylistic players. But I think yeah. Danielson versus Goche, you can kind of connect those dots pretty uh, easily. In my, at least in terms of maybe you can maybe you prefer one or the other. I don't think it's unreasonable for one or the other, but I think there are some distinct similarities there. They're both about the similar size. We'll see whether Goche is a center or a wing, but this say he is a center, so they're about similar size centers. They both, I think, skate similarly. Um, I have Danielson's skill just as highly rated as Goche. In fact, I think I might even prefer his skill, to be quite honest. Goche's shot is much be- is better. Um, but I think both guys work hard enough. I think Danielson might compete even a little bit harder, and that's was the edge for me. So I just see a two-way center with legit skill and who's who skates well. Um, so I just I just think there's they're both guys who I think check every box who I think look like top six forwards in the NHL and maybe top six centers in the NHL. And I, I, I mean, the debate with Danielson has always come back to the offense. And I think the offense will be there in a legit manner. I think he's shown that over his track record over the last few years in the WHL. I know it wasn't there this past season in a major way, but from what I, when I was watching the player, I saw that player there in a significant manner in terms of his skill and his playmaking. And I think, like I said, I think it will be there. And if I think he w- it will be there, then I can connect that dot between him and Goche, who I think maybe doesn't have as much pure skill, but is a much more talented goal scorer. I, I would add, I don't know. I think, I think we, we could, you know, we'd get into the weeds a little bit. I do think that Cutter has more individual skill on the puck than, than Danielson, at least from, from what I've seen. Uh, and then on top of that, I mean, I know you mentioned that they're similar sizes, but Cutter is a, is a man and, and yeah. Nate, you, you see Nate around the rink, you see Cutter around the rink. They do have a bit of a different look and feel to them in terms of Cutter could step into the Flyers dressing room tomorrow and be one of the most sure. physically mature athletes in that room. I don't think you could say the same about Nate, even though he's a great athlete and a, a sort of stocky ish kid in his own right. Uh, so I just think that that size element, the goal scoring premium, what he has proven already against higher level competition, uh, all of that feels like it checks for Cutter for me. Another one from this draft class, Corey, that I know Chris wanted to talk about is David Reinbacher. And this was one we talked about a ton in, in the lead up to the draft and his placement. He does end up uh, going as the top D in this class. Uh, but where you have him in this class, or sorry, in this list, uh, is at number 25. So he, he's the first guy after the Cooley tier. Yeah. You know, I think this is, to me, obviously, this is, I think, uh, the reason that I, I push back a little bit is I feel like there's there's obviously a lot of projecting going on with these guys that were just drafted, the guys that, you know, haven't had a chance yet. Um, obviously, Ryan Bacher, you know, Corey's been high on him from the very beginning. Um, you know, and I I had him as the top, you know, one of the top D in the in the last draft class as well. Um, where I, I I just haven't seen enough for me to say that he's going to be a top of the lineup defenseman. I think he has the potential to be that. I think there's 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 a chance that he is going to be that. Um, I feel like we've seen a bit more from from guys like Jamie Drysdale, Kevin Korchinski, um, even Simon Edmondson, who I I haven't been as high on. Um, you know, so I'm just, as I'm looking at those, at those defensemen and then, um, I don't think that he has to be a lot lower. It was just, you know, I, I look at guys that, that were on here, um, you know, particularly Korchinski and Drysdale who are the closest who are obviously different in a, in a lot of ways, you know, much more offensive minded. Um, you know, I think Drysdale has, has shown it a little bit more at the NHL level has shown, shown some proclivity, you know, when he's been healthy, um, for, for playing, you know, a solid offensive game, being a guy that can, can be a, a power play weapon and things like that. Um, to me, I just feel like, and, and this is always the case when we're projecting out, I just feel like there's a higher risk in that projection of Reinbacher, um, over some of these guys that, you know, it's it's tough because as we get into this, as we get into this tier of the top of the lineup players, um, you know, I think that there is probably a lot of things that I might change with the way that Corey ordered things, just because I think that that's naturally how these things tend to go. We all seem to have a pretty similar idea of guys at the top. And then as it gets a little bit further down, that's when things t- kind of start to separate. But I'd just be curious to know, Corey, on your front, just what leads you to believe that, you know, as we look at the the defenseman on here, you know, he's what the, the sixth or seventh defenseman in the, in the, uh, among these players, what put, you, what put him over the top for you and, and put him in a, a top of the lineup tier. 
Well, I guess, well, I'll be asked, curious to ask you once I ask, sure. answer your question is how would you rate him or what would be your analysis of him compared to, say, David Yerchek, uh, Simon Nemich, and Kevin Korczynski this time last year? I'd be curious to see how you would split those hairs. But for me, I see a mobile defenseman uh, who has shown significant offense at a very high level, who competes well, um, has good size. Like, I think he just, he, he just, uh, I think, brings a lot to the table and there's no clear issues that I find in his game there. He has success versus men, which is always a big hurdle mm-hmm. to cross for me. And like I said, I think I understand he's not like a high, high end offensive type. Um, you know, Montreal even said after the, after they drafted him, he's probably not going to run our PP one, but I think he can be a pretty you know significant minute eater in all situations playing high in a lineup. I think he has all the traits you want in a potential top pair defenseman. But like I said, when I think of him versus David Yerchek at the same age, I'm not sure I see much of a distinction. Oh, I, I see a big gap between the two. Um, and I did in the in the draft year. And then obviously we have now the the data of Yerchek being, you know, a, a quality AHL defenseman in in year one. And, you know, to me, I, I just I, I thought that Yerchek had the more he had the more complete game i thought i liked his defensive ability i liked his mobility i mean i think that that reinbacher is probably you don't better. think reinbacher is not a good def- uh, not a I'm, good defender he's a fine defender i think you're is a more physical better defender um he's more physical but and, i think reinbacher's defense was really good last it, year. it was good i just i just don't think i don't i thought that the total package of you're and he was the defenseman that i had in the top of of my list for that draft um, you know, I, I actually, and I do, I think there is separation between Reinbacher and Nemich. Um, and, and I think I came around on Korchinski later, uh, and especially after this past season, we saw, saw a lot more of where he's potentially going. Um, I just, to me, I don't know, like as much as we saw the, the production in the Swiss league and that it was, you know, historic for, a player of his age and everything. I don't necessarily know that he is going to be, have that offensive impact um, at the NHL level. As you said, as, as you know, he's not going to probably be a top power play guy. Um, you know, I just, I feel like there are more, I, I feel like I have more questions about, you know, his, where, where his, what he ultimately becomes as an NHL defense than the other guys. I feel, I feel like the other guys a little bit more defined, in what they're going to be. And I, I don't know if, if Reinbacher is going to be a top pairing defenseman. I think he will be at worst a top four defenseman, but I, I just, I still, I've never really been able to get around to the idea that he is a clear cut top pairing defenseman. How about Cole Perfetti, Scott? I know that was one that you had wanted to bring up. Yeah, that was sort of the last one. I thought watching Cole, well, t- I had two, two feelings on Cole. One, I think, I mean, if you were to grade out, hockey iq for this entire list he's like top five uh, and almost without question for me up there with the guys who are right at the very top in the top already ranked in the top 10 up there with the trevor zegerses etc etc um just an incredibly incredibly smart hockey player now there have been concerns about his size and his durability and him not being sort of a great skater for that size uh, but I thought in watching Cole last year that he put a lot of those questions to bed. I thought before his injury last year, like he was really trending to be a clear cut top six player on that Jets team. I think as early as this fall, you're going to see him play in a premium role on the first line of that team, on the first power play of that team, finally on a consistent basis. And I just don't see an outcome for him at this point that doesn't have him as a premium, premium player in Winnipeg. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if within the next two or three seasons, we were talking about him already being a sort of 70 point guy. Um, I just think he's that smart. He's that gifted with the puck. He's going to run that power play. Everything offensively feels like it's about to start running through him in Winnipeg. And I think he's based off what we saw last year in that two thirds of the season that he played. I thought he looked he looked ready for it. Um, 
so I'm I'm just exci- I'm mostly just really excited about Cole and what I think he's about to become over the next couple of seasons here. And at 55, I just saw names in front of him, uh, guys like Logan Stankhoven, who I'm also a huge huge fan of. Uh, but there were just a few forwards in front of him um, who a hadn't hadn't really shown shown it at the NHL level. Obviously, Cole has has now done that last season and had a really solid s- sort of start. Um, and and B, I think even at the junior level prior, we saw in Cole a player who was just a little bit different from everybody in terms of on ice smarts, and I think that can carry when it's when it's that high end. I think that can carry a kid a long way. I mean, I don't disagree on the hockey sense. I'd agree with you if you can put him that highly in terms of pure hockey sense at skill. And, and I agree. You saw watching one of his games last year in Winnipeg, and the playmaking stood out in a significant manner and the, the brain operates at a different level than those around him. Um, but you mentioned the concerns there with the size and the skating and particularly the biggest one for me was the injury prone yeah. issues is that especially when you are that side, when you do have the frame he has and that ever since he's turned pro, he does seem to get hurt at a concerning rate. It's not enough for me to like not think he's not going to get top six forward. I do think he's going to be a top six forward in the NHL. Uh, but that is a minor concern for me. Um, I do worry about his lack of finish too at times. Uh, that that is a, has been a, a little bit of a concern of, of late, especially as a pro. Uh, and I just I think it was a really good stretch there in the NHL when he was healthy, the the forty fifty games he played this past season. Uh, but I would want to see that more consistently and definitely see him stay on the ice a little more, especially for his player type, which. If he's scoring at a big rate, is very is valuable. But if he's always scoring at a decent rate and he's also injury prone, all of a sudden becomes very replaceable. All right, great stuff, gentlemen. Corey, thank you for for standing in and, and defending your dissertation. Uh, and and Max, sense. Max, can I say one thing too? Because we we obviously yes. we we're here to pick on Corey, <laughs> but but we also have a gr- and I said this before we have a great appreciation for what it goes into. And I really it, it is just nitpicking, and I think. You know, putting this, putting the, a list like this together is a huge challenge, especially like the way that Corey does it with the U23. You got guys in the NHL, you've got guys, and it, it is a great way to piss a lot of people off, um, which Corey does exceptionally well, including me. Uh, but I think that it is, it's, it's, you know, but Scott, Corey, you know, Max, when you jump in and you do prospect stuff, you know, you, you got the not like this is, this is not easy to do. And, um, so Corey, thanks for standing in there and taking our punches, but just know that, uh, it, it comes from a place of love. It really does. It, it does. It is not, not, <laughs> not to swear, but it is, uh, effing hard. And, uh, I don't know yeah. if you guys have ever heard, but I once ranked Jake Sanderson 17th in his draft. So. <laughs> no, has Ottawa ever mentioned that to you, Scott? Like the entire city of Ottawa? Have they, have they ever said that to you? I don't think so. They ever remind you of that? I think you guys are fair to say it does piss a couple people off at some times. Yeah, and Uh, it's also fun when it pisses off the people that actually are doing this for a living in the NHL, and uh, those are fun to hear from. Well, I think this was really fun to hear from you guys, all three of you. Great stuff today. That is going to do it for us, though. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And you can catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. Right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.